Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode number 86, Creativation 2019, recorded in two parts, and this first part is being recorded on January 17th, 2019. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm, uh, eh, my back is hurting me. What else is new? Well, I was going to say, nothing's ever good when your back is hurting. You can't sit, you can't stand, you can't lie down, you can't get up. It's it's just a very bad situation. And yet, we power forward. And yet, we can do a podcast, because that just requires exactly. the mouth to move. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I went to see the house renovation and to see my... Uh, new studio space basically because what they've done is they have demoed the third floor of the house and pulled down the ceiling in the attic to reveal basically the roof line and it is amazing. I saw a photo that you sent me and I think you should leave it open if you can. I know. So I have to find out how much insulation and stuff we have yeah. to get in yeah. there and how many mechanicals and all that kind of stuff. But the second I saw it, I was like, oh my God, this is amazing high ceiling changes the space so much it totally does because it's actually not that big of a space and with the slants of the roof it's actually smaller but somehow by opening it up it just feels it has like a glorious feeling which i think is a great space to make art in is when you have sort of a glorious feeling is there any reason why you would need an attic for storage or anything uh i mean i don't think so mainly because we are assuming we're going to store things in the basement. And then even if we did have an attic, there, I mean, there's not enough for it to be like a full stand-up attic anyway. So because uh-huh. what they had before was mostly like a crawl space. And I just think I find it creepy and unusable storage space when you have to use that kind of crawl spacey kind of thing. So I'm hoping to be able to keep everything in the basement and or reach a Marie Kondo state in which there is nothing in my house. It doesn't bring you joy. Exactly. Exactly. I hope that doesn't extend to me. You are always welcome, Mom. Uh, And we'll see how the rest turns out. But right now, I'm super excited. This has made my day. Now, the next question really is, is are you super excited? Because we are going to Arizona, where it is in the 70s. Uh, today, but apparently the whole time we're there, it's really going to be in the 60s, which still sounds dreamlike and heavenly <laughs> yes. compared to what is expected here in Boston, which is a giant snowstorm with inches and inches of snow and ice. But I'm still packing my sandals. But it's not. Oh, no. No sandals for me. <laughs> and I think you need to remember that inside the convention center, it'll be solidly Arctic air conditioning. Yes. You will not want to wear sandals when it's that cold. Well, we'll see. I'm still bringing them. I refuse. (laughs) Although I will say, I think the last time I was in Arizona, I packed ambitiously and was freezing cold most of the time. Right. Just because you bring the sandals doesn't mean it'll be warm. I know, because it's in the 40s at night, but we're not focusing on that. We're focusing on the 70s. I think you should bring shoes that are comfortable to stand around in. Oh, good. Sandals. It is. So why are we going to Arizona, mom, not just for the weather, not just for the sandals. Not just to hang out together. (laughs) Not just to hang out together. Not to go to a spa, but that would be nice. Also, somebody emailed me and suggested I go to the Herd Museum, uh, and I thought that was a great idea, but unfortunately, we are not going to have the time. time. Exactly, because I have to work, because we are going to create evasion. 
which is the craft industry's big yearly trade show. It used to be called CHA. And it is where most of the companies that sell craft, some art supplies, some hobby stuff um, get together. And it is an industry-only show, meaning you have to be a retailer, a designer, uh, a manufacturer in order to get into the show. And you can't actually buy any physical product, you know, that you take away in your bag, but you place an order for whatever it is you're looking for, or you make contacts with people, or, you know, you reveal your new product to the world, or sort of any of those things along the way. So today, we thought we would talk a little bit about what kinds of stuff we're expecting. And then when we get back from the show, we do a little bit of follow up to talk about what actually happened. So Mom. I just want to contact, comment that um, the show used to be much bigger, mm. and as the show has gotten smaller, the name has gotten longer. C H A to Creativation. It's a fair point. It's a fair point. Um, so beyond the show getting smaller, I mean, let's talk about expectations in terms of what we're expecting size-wise. What are we expecting it to be? So, uh, what's your prediction or your thoughts, Mom, in terms of show being crowded, not crowded, all that kind of stuff? I think there'll be a couple of days when it's crowded, but my experience in the last couple of years has been that the final day is kind of a desert. People have already seen what they wanted to see and they uh, are done. So it's just people who, for whatever reason, want to make one last order. I think also they used to People used to bring a lot of sort of hangers on as their assistants, unpaid assistants, but they would get into the show. And there were a lot of participatory demos, little classes and things like that, and samples being a given way. And that has not, that has been cut way back, which makes it less crowded in the aisles and less crowded around the demo stands. Although you still have these momentary things where everyone is shrieking. And you're wondering what's going on over there. Giveaway, baby. I do think that it is kind of a chicken and the egg question. Like on the one hand, companies stopped giving away so much product. On the other hand, stores stopped bringing so many people. And, you know, I think it's one of those things like which happened first, who knows. But I do think that a phenomenon started to happen where stores would like raffle off to their customers that they would bring you to the show if you you know bought a certain amount or won some sort of contest and there just started to be a lot of people who weren't buyers and so it became difficult for the manufacturers you know to deal with that and I'd like to actually talk a little bit if I may about creativation etiquette which is something that I think people don't think of and has gone a little bit uh, out the door in my opinion but generally speaking it is a business event and you should think about that in terms of the way that you dress and behave It is also an event in which the purpose of it is sales. So if you are working in a booth and you are chatting with your friend who's in the booth and a customer comes into the booth, you need to do what any salesperson in a normal store situation hopefully would do, which is stop having social hour with your friend and actually deal with the customer who's in the booth. And similarly, if you're a designer or an educator who's looking for work or ideas, you have to understand that you're less of a priority to the people who are working the show. It's not that you're not important at all, but if they have a customer who's gonna come in and place a $5,000, $10,000, $20,000, $30,000 order with them, they really just 
need to deal with that person right away. And what I was always taught coming into the industry is you sort of approach, you know, and then if some business comes up, you make yourself scarce, you know, and that that's the way to approach it. And I, I do think that there are a lot of people who show up who sort of don't get it. And I think it's a problem because it doesn't reflect well on you when you do that kind of stuff where you don't understand how the business actually works. Right. There are people who will interrupt you when you're having an important conversation, too. Yeah. And I think, you know, it is one of these things where I remember the first time I ever went to CHA and my big takeaway was that while there was a ton of stuff going on in the booze, all the actual business was being done off to the side. There were, you know, uh, meeting rooms. There were side meetings. There were a lot of men in khaki pants and polo shirts conducting business and trading business cards. And that in many ways, if you were there for the fanfare for the celebrities and the giveaways and all that kind of stuff, like you were actually missing the business of the show where the real action was as opposed to like the sort of flim flam kind of uh, schmancy, you know, frosting kind of stuff, I guess I would say. All right. So let's talk about first what you what you know you're going to be doing. So what I know I'm going to be doing is I am going to be demoing the scan and cut and sewing machines in the brother booth. That is what I know I'm going to be doing. I have a couple meetings with some clients as well that I will need to deal with, get to, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's everything what about, that I know I'll be doing. What about the crafters workshop with your stencils? Which so are I being have released? 12 new stencils being released with them, but I am not demoing in the booth. And this will be the first year that I'm not. And part of that is just a schedule issue, which is they rightfully so they have a, you know, a big demo schedule in which there are probably 13 or 14 people who come and demo over the three and a half days. And they needed to know, you know, when I was available and I hadn't gotten my schedule from brother and brother, this is gets back to the business part of it. They're paying for my hotel, my plane ticket and my time. I owe them first priority over something I'm doing for free, essentially for the crafters workshop. So I said to the crafters workshop, I can't, you know, commit because I don't know what brother wants me to do, like when my lunch break will be or whatever the time, the free time would be that I could make it over there. And so by the time I got my schedule from brother, they were there were no time slots when I was available that they were available. So I said, you know, I'd stop by in my off time and do a video, post some stuff to Instagram, that kind of stuff. But I just a demo was not happening this time. And, you know, I will say I think it's totally fine because my experience when I first started doing demos for the Crafters Workshop is you would literally have to say to people, hey, have you ever used a stencil before? And they'd be like, no. And you'd have to explain to them like how to use it and why you'd want to use it and all that kind of stuff. And my experience now is that you say, hey, you know, do you have you used a stencil before? And it's like, yeah, I've used a million stencils or I just bought a ton of stencils from this other company. Or so the demo is no longer like how to use a stencil or sort of informational. The demo now is more like, hey, come take a photo with me. Hey, do you know what I mean? Let me talk you through our new collection, which is great. It's just a totally different kind of experience. Okay. And um, 
you've made some samples that will go in their booth to show how to use the new stencils that you've designed. And I think you've also, have you, you've entered a ranger contest or something. It's not a ranger contest. So every show, ranger features some sort of product by one of their designers. And this year it happens to be Dina Wakeley's new pouring medium. And so usually what happens is the artist sends a list of people that they'd like to participate. And then Ranger reaches out and said, would you like to participate? They send you a box of stuff and you're supposed to make something. And the idea is basically everybody gets the same parameters. You're all creating on top of the same surface. So it's the same exact size and you're all using the same products. But then the idea is, wow, look at this. You know, here are 20 different ideas for using this same product. Because this okay. is 20 different people. So I have that project already packed in my suitcase, ready to go. So in the olden days, you used to occasionally lecture or teach, and you're not doing that either. But they have this, uh, is it, they call it Creativation University or something? They and they might. have they classes. Have, they have an education program. Some of it is stuff like certification for stuff. Other of it is informational. It's a great way to launch a product that people maybe have not heard of. Because they get hands-on, use it, touch it, all that kind of stuff. The real issue with the classes is they're enormously expensive and you can't really – they're enormously expensive to put on, not to take. For people, they have ranged over the years from free to $25 or $35 a class, which is totally reasonable. But the problem is teaching those classes is – always a more expensive endeavor from supplies to time to all that kind of stuff so I've always enjoyed it whenever I've taught I mean there's nothing like teaching 200 people all at once that's craziness but certainly even for like brother an electronic you know company we did do a scanning class one year and you understand that that means there has to be a classroom with a hundred scanning cuts in it which is quite right. an outlay for them you right. know to be able to do something like that so I think it makes more sense to me for other things. I also think uh, lectures and trends and stuff like that is a more interesting conversation because those are things that people sometimes need a little help with. And I really wish that Creativation would do more of uh, those kind of those kind of educational things, or even you know talking about POS systems or business issues accounting you know marketing etc cetera, etc cetera. they do some but not enough in my opinion for a trade organization okay so then there's always the section where we try to walk the floor rapidly and insanely yes during lunchtime and like in little tiny bites of half an hour here or there zooming and yeah. you do see some things that you didn't know were out there that's true it has uh been beneficial for you in terms of finding out about products that you didn't know were out there. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to see what's out there. You know, I, I think because of the thing I said earlier about it's a business, I always feel a little shy going around, especially I'm wearing a manufacturer badge, you know, and sometimes people are worried about that another manufacturer is taking their idea or, you know, whatever else. So I'm always trying to tread a little bit carefully about going around and seeing what stuff is. So I tend to be a, a – uh, walker glancer rather than a get in there and touch all your stuff kind of person okay so what when we first started going many moons ago there was a ton of paper people used to buy sheets of paper and there was a ton of stuff that doesn't 
really show up that much anymore. Why don't you talk about how things have changed and then what you think you'll see this time? Well, when I first started going, it was the heyday of scrapbooking. So everything was scrapbooking and it was uh, pens and embellishments and papers and, you know, people go insane for new paper and all this kind of stuff. And I think the and sort of art media was a very, very small subset in which people thought it was weird or odd or different or other. And I think uh, that has swung in a different direction now. I think we've seen the rise of various things like uh, planners have come up huge in the last few years. Everybody has a planner system. I will also say that people have figured out that a 25 cent markup on a piece of paper is does not really justify the floor space. So you see a lot more tools and gadgets because again, you know, like $10, $20, you know, markup is a lot better, $50, $100, whatever it is. I also think uh, everybody has paint. Everybody has water-soluble crayons. Everybody has stamps, especially now that uh, creating photopolymer stamps is so inexpensive. Dyes are everywhere. There are just a lot of things that what I would say is higher margin, less floor space um, has changed the kind of stuff that you see people selling, really. And also the fact that, you know, the people who buy the most stuff are beginners. So... When there are new people constantly flooding into the particular hobby niche, they're buying a ton of stuff. But once you're someone who is sort of established, educated, you know, and less of a beginner, you actually buy less stuff. You may buy like one or two more expensive things, but you don't need to buy a whole set of paints. You don't need to buy a whole set of brushes. You don't need to buy, you know what I mean, 60 canvases. You don't need to, you just, you just don't need to buy all that kind of beginner stuff. And so I think one of the things that you see is it seems like there's, there are crazes or fads in terms of what people are buying. And that's because, you know, it becomes something becomes popular. And so there are a lot of beginners who are buying all the stuff. The real issue, and I think the thing that's so impressive about like the quilting industry, for example, is that they've managed to sustain a level of both people who are accomplished and people who are beginners continually coming in where scrapbooking was not able to sustain that. So actually you've moved a bit into the sewing arena, which you used to not be part of. Yeah. Because uh, I mean now you're selling brother sewing machines yeah i am and you know it's somewhat of a natural evolution i actually sewed before i did a lot of those paper crafts as you'll recall my uh what i asked for when i graduated from college was a sewing machine as a you gift got it. and i got, you it. got it and you know i am not a very good sewer <laughs> but i enjoy it a lot and i think in a lot of ways the thing about sewing that is magical is that there there are so many possibilities of what you can do with a very simple machine but it also has a learning curve because of course you can do some basic sewing but to get to the fancier steps you really have to know something but the fact that you can make a garment or a quilt you know or stitch on paper or do a mixed media piece or 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 you know is kind of fascinating and it feels like a lifelong thing that you can enjoy because you can both make practical and artistic things okay so i'm i'm hoping you'll find something unexpected because that's where the delight comes 
when you find something you didn't expect to to see and you like it. I agree. And I think it's not just like product. I mean, I'm I'm really curious about trends because I want to know like what what are people essentially betting on? You know, we've seen the owls, the llamas. Last year there were so much like flowers on a black background. You know, what is the thing that people are saying from a design point of view or from a what people are interested in point of view? You know, what's hot and popular? And also, you know, for a while it was like, well, everybody was coming out with things that were for foiling or everybody's coming out with something that's for, you know, cutting or every. And, and so you want to know what those trends are, because that helps me as a blogger, as a designer, as a you know, uh, vlogger, podcaster, whatever, kind of figure out where, where we're headed. I do think that the, the DIY thing has had sustained power. People, it wasn't just a thing that people took up, you know, oh, I want to try and make this. Oh, I can't do it. I'm done. They've really, I think people have really educated themselves and have worked hard at it. And it's become, it's an accepted thing. It's not just sort of weird hippie macrame people. No. It's everybody. And in fact, when I watch HGV, every now and then I see either a house with a craft room or somebody who's looking for a house with a craft room or some version of that because it's a, it is a thing that takes up a lot of space and you know what I mean? It requ- I mean, speaking, or returning to where we were talking at the beginning of this podcast about my studio space, like, it is a thing that requires you to have space. So, I have high hopes. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to the sun. Sandals However, forever! Uh, <laughs> you know, the problem with bringing sandals is then you have to get a pedicure. Done. And I'm not going to. Done. I already did it. I'm ready. I'm sandal ready, baby. You're a planner. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so we'll get back together in just one short week and figure out if we were right, if we were wrong, what the trends were, and uh, tell the tales that we have to tell from the Sandal Weather, Arizona. So this is part two, which we are recording on January 23rd, 2019. Hey, Mom. Hello, Julie. Welcome back. Long time no see. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, so we just got back from Creativation yesterday. Uh, I know that I've you're not a morning person, and mostly on the trip, I think I forced you to get up in the morning multiple times. So it has to have been a misery. Well, but a good night's sleep cures all, baby. So it's true, actually. I feel a lot better now having slept a night in my own bed and showered in my own shower and all that kind of stuff. Um, so let's talk about the show and all of our expectations and the surprises and all that kind of stuff. Um, let's go chronologically. It's a good way of organizing things. We flew out Friday morning. I had to get up at 3.45, so I am. So Wait, you did not have to get up at 3.45. We, you were picked in order up to, to go to the airport at 3.45. No, I'm sorry. We we flew out at 5.45, oh, didn't we? All right. So I Am I crazy? All right, look. I thought our flight was even early. I thought we had a 5.45 flight. I thought we picked you up at 3.45 because okay. I woke up at 3 a.m. And I wouldn't have done that unless I was getting picked up. Well, the long and the short of it is I, didn't, <laughs> I just made a decision not to go to bed at all. Because for me to go to bed and have 
an hour of sleep and then have to get up and rush around and shut down the house and finish my packing would have been stupid. By the way, this is the problem with eyewitness testimony because that was like four days ago and we can't even remember. But yes, go ahead. So I just didn't sleep at all, which meant that I even napping on the plane, I wasn't in the best of shape when we landed in Phoenix on on Friday morning. But I have to tell people one of the most impressive things about you as a napper is you are able to keep control over your phone in your hand the whole time you're napping and you like have a claw around it. And even though you're asleep, you don't let go of it. I found that deeply impressive because I would have dropped mine on the floor. I'm so glad I can do something to impress you. So yeah, so we got off the plane, both of us somewhat catatonic and uh, hysterical. And, and the reason that we had to take such an early flight, I should say, is because I usually, uh, or a uh, brother who hires me to go to the show, usually prefers me to fly in the night uh, before. But I had a meeting at the museum, and I, so I wanted to go to the meeting, and so they kindly said I didn't have to, but that meant I knew that instead of being able to get a real night's sleep, I was going to have to come in, and we, we went straight from the airport to the hotel. I dropped you in the room, and then I went to the show floor to go ahead and drop off my projects for Crafters Workshop for the Ranger Design Challenge. So once I had dropped my projects off, then I went ahead and went to the brother booth where I helped to set up the demo tables and do all the merchandising. Um, It's funny I call it merchandising. It's all of the projects need to be displayed. And I really enjoy that process of putting out the projects for display. So we did that. And then uh, we had... Uh, So a funny discovery is you and I actually picked up our badges that morning. And I don't know if this is because we were tired or what. But when I got to the brother booth, somebody said, oh, Julie, your photo is at the registration booth. And I was like, what? We hadn't even noticed. But it turned out that there were these three photos of me that were semi-life size right behind this window using the scan and cut for stuff at the registration desk. And we literally just never even noticed it. Shows you how observant we are. Apparently, I would I would say we we can't. Let, so let's just go over our good qualities. We can't remember anything. <laughs> <laughs> we're not very observant. So far, we sound great. Uh, at least we're hilariously funny to ourselves. So, <laughs> well, does that does anybody else really need to laugh? It's true. Okay, so add selfish to the list. So anyway, so. I thought that was kind of funny. So then there was a uh, company dinner for brother, which I went to, which was nice. That's sort of all the salespeople. I mean, it, this is a real, like, it takes a village. There, I'm always impressed with, like, Jamie from Crafters Workshop. She pretty much, she comes by herself. She sets up her whole booth. You know, she's in the booth the whole time. She does have some people from the design team who come and demo and stuff like that. But she pretty much is a one-woman show. And the brother booth, you know... There is a collection of engineers and marketing people from Japan. There's a collection of um, salespeople and marketing people from America. There is a, you know, collection of demonstrators. There is, I mean, it's just, it's it's a lot of people who make it happen. And I was thinking, you know, I think at the dinner there probably were 40 people. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big team who works really hard to put it all together. Okay, I didn't go to the di- dinner. I snacked off the concierge lounge. <laughs> Living the fat life, baby. There it goes. Uh, and then the show started, boom, just like that the next day, and we were off and running with the demos. So 
uh, I think I predicted that I would get sort of the usual questions, which is on the one hand, people who've never seen a scan and cut and don't know what it is. And on the other hand, people who have a scan and cut and uh, wants help with a specific question or problem that they have. And then on the third hand, if I may have that many hands, uh, people who are thinking of purchasing a scan and cut and just want to reinforce or unconvince or convince themselves one way or the other. There's actually a fourth hand, which is people who have purchased a scan and cut but have never taken it out of the box. Yeah, there's actually a number of people who said stuff like that. And I get it. Like, life gets in the way and you somehow want to have this magical, like, 10-hour period where you're going to be able to, you know, know and learn everything about it. But I do think that there is an enormous amount of value in just going ahead and taking it out of the box and not being afraid. And I did tell everybody who bought a DX recently I hadn't taken it out of the box, you know, there's a project in the box. They actually include a piece of paper and some step-by-step, a little booklet with instructions so that you know uh, as soon as you take it out, you've you've made something, which I think is incredibly helpful. But I get it. I get how that kind of stuff can be intimidating. Trust me, if I didn't have to do it for my job, I probably wouldn't take a lot of these things out of the box because it's scary, you know? Um, But it was good. I would say there were a couple problematic people. You know, I... I have occasionally run into this, and I think this is true of customer service anywhere, which is people who are mad at you for something that has happened to them, even though it has nothing to do with you. And so I did run into a couple people who had uh, either something they couldn't figure out or somebody who sold them a machine who it wouldn't you know, didn't know something or had told them something that wasn't true, who then were frustrated, understandably, but who felt the need to yell at me about it. And so I always think in those moments when I'm angry about stuff, which I often am, especially when I'm driving a car, that maybe I need to breathe and think about whether (laughs) I actually need to spend my energy yelling at a complete stranger to make myself feel better. And you know? does it make you feel better? Not always. Not I always. Will tell you. But it certainly makes the other person feel bad. So. Only if they can hear you. If you're sitting in That's a closed true. car and I'm sitting next to you and you're yelling, there's only one person who's hearing this and it's not. Te- do I not count as a person? Technically, I'm hearing it as well. Just telling you. Uh, but yeah, so other than a couple of those kind of situations, you know, I had a good time and I felt like it was really fun. I do sometimes giggle a little because people who've never seen the machine, you know, just come up and they say like, so what does it do? And that's actually a complicated and enormous question, you know, because it actually does a lot of things. So, uh, but it is an interesting uh, conversation to enter into, but I like to play a little game when I'm demoing. Which is I like to see if I can figure out who is like actually interested in the product and who just has nothing else to do <laughs> and so wants to see Or the wants demo. to chat with you. Or wants to chat with you, which is totally fine too. But it's always like, I, and I, there's no way for me to know, but I always mentally in my head, I'm like, that person's going to buy one. Or that person's not going to buy one. Like, you know, can I actually guess? But since I can't check, I can't know whether I'm right or wrong. I just have to think it in my brain at when they leave. So that was Saturday. Yeah. Let's talk for a second about the 
entire creativation show because you now have some perspective of multiple years. Didn't we both agree it's smaller than it used to be? And yeah, smaller and smaller and smaller every single year. And it, not only that, but the companies that have traditionally had huge booths, you know, the booths themselves are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, I think gone are a lot of the insanely fancy, you know, booth design things that you used to see with walls and vignettes and all that kind of stuff. They had uh, a thing I really liked this year that I thought was clever called Stamping Village, which was a couple of different stamp companies that got together and basically created uh, sort of like a they were all in the same area and they had a big sort of seating area in the center. And then you ha got like a passport for lack of better way of putting it or like a punch card and if you went to each of the booths in Sammy Village and did a make and take like you got entered in a drawing or something like that and I thought that was a nice way of creating um, community instead of competition and it was a nice way of um, stores working together or uh, manufacturers working together instead of against each other and I would love to see some more of that in um, the world of creativation I think it's really important that we Think about that old phrase that a rising tide raises all ships. I think one of the major problems I see is that instead of companies allowing each other to specialize in certain areas, uh, it's like everybody has to have the exact same products. You have stencils, I have stencils. You have paint, I have paint. You have, you know, this, I have this. It's like uh, there are so many paint products now, half of which I don't want to be a jerk about it, but they're crap. You know, and they, I think, end up turning people away from making things because we don't somehow allow anybody to be, any manufacturer to be an expert. Everybody has to be sort of a dilettante with a finger in every, everybody has to be Walmart. Everybody has, you have to be able to get everything you want at one stop from a single manufacturer. And I think that's a weird mistake uh, that's not going to be good in the long term for the quality of the products that we see, hmm. you know, I think they're, I think, and this is kind of hilarious because as an artist, I'm a complete dilettante and I'm always doing this and that and this and that and a million different things. But there is something about somebody who is deep into their knowledge about a single discipline. So somebody who only makes, you know, uh, acrylic paint and that is what they study and that is what they think about and that is what they formulate and those are the tests that they do. And I would assume that the quality of their product to be much higher than somebody who also makes paper and also makes stencils and also makes stamps and also makes dyes and also makes, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't think I'm going to get my wish. I think more and more, especially now that it's so easy to sort of farm out a lot of those products uh, overseas, et cetera, et cetera that we're just going to see a lot more companies become like their own little super shop in which they have everything you need instead of going from one to one. But I mean, it's kind of like a supermarket, actually. I mean, it wasn't that long ago, right, that you would go to the butcher for your meat. Right. You go to the bakery for your bread and everybody was a specialist. And now you go to the supermarket, you just get everything you need in one fell swoop and it's easier. It may not be as great, but do you actually notice... I think, I don't know. I think maybe most people don't. Well, and you don't get the kind of specialized service, even if the product were identical, which it's not. There's service that you can get at a smaller place, which specializes. 
Yeah, so I mean, that's my wish list a little bit. I, I, and I actually, if, if I may sort of make this a huge megaphone moment where I just like extrapolate this idea further and further out into absurdity, um, I, I do actually think it's true about a lot of things about like when people talk about a social media plan and what they're going to do and, you know, how they're going to, you're an actor who's like, I can play anything in any role. And I think we have this desire somehow to be everything to people or, uh, you know, you want everybody to like you and it drives you crazy when some people don't like you or you want to be sort of the uh, acceptable, attractive art that makes everybody say, oh, isn't that cute or isn't that pretty or isn't that lovely instead of being the art that some people are like, ugh, what is that? And other people are like, oh, my God, you know, because we, we want to somehow hit it down the middle in the broadest strokes and I I think it's important and it's something I remind myself of all the time because it's hard it's hard to say I'm going to be true to myself do the things that make me happy the things that geek me out that make me excited you know what I mean that are are sort of a narrowing thing instead of a broadening out to the biggest audience humanly possible and I don't know whether that's a recipe for financial ruin or that you can't be successful that way I'd like to think that you can and I'd like to think that those that that expertise is valued you know I read this book which I semi-hated but I'm still going to talk about right now Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert I read it on the plane yesterday very quick read very quick uh but it one of the stories that she tells in the book that has stayed with me is there's a woman who she knew in New York who was in her 90s and about 10 years previous to having met her, so when she was in her 80s, this woman became fascinated by Mesopotamia and the history of Mesopotamia. And who so, isn't? Well, let me tell you, Mesopotamia has changed my life. Uh, so she became, she did a, just a deep dive in it and she became really interested in it. And she ended up, you know, talking to tons of experts and going on digs and reading everything and talking to scholars and in 10 years, she basically became one of the leading experts in Mesopotamia and became the person that people asked to lecture, asked to speak to, consulted when they had questions, asked for advice. Then when there was an exhibit, you know, she was brought in as an expert, like all kinds of stuff. And it was and I think, you know, the story that for Elizabeth Gilbert's purpose was like, A, you know, this woman was in the 80s when she picked up this idea in her 80s, which is amazing. But B, that 10 years of dedicating your life to almost anything, you become an expert in it when you deep dive in that way. You know, it's the diligence of practice. And I, I think that I am wondering what the next thing for this industry is because I feel like there are a few deep divers who I really love and respect. And I'll give you an example of that, which is um, there's a guy from Sakura of America named Peter who is in charge of marketing and product development at Sakura of America. Now, Sakura of America makes some of my favorite um, pen products. And they 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 make um, the Pigma Micron. They make the Koi coloring brush. They make the uh, Permapigs. I mean, just lots of pens that I use every single day. And I was talking to him at the show, and every time I talk to him, I am I am sort of amazed and blown away by how geeked out and nerded out he is about pens. And I mentioned something to him about like, oh, are you guys going to do those, you know, they've had a fantastic water brush for millions of years, and they have tons of different pigment inks. And I was like, oh, are you going to combine your inks and your brushes to create these, you know, pens that are so on trend right now that are filled with the ink that are like the water brushes? And he was like, no. I was like, whoa, Peter. <laughs> 
what's up? And he basically ex- was like, right away was like, well, this is the trend. It's a fad. It's not going to last. And like the quality that we would need for it to be acceptable to me, we would have to reformulate. We can't just put the old pigment ink and I would be concerned about the water brush because it's formulated currently to hold water and I would want to make sure. Da, da, da. And like he was so on it about every every detail about every little detail and about wanting his product to truly be superior in every way humanly possible and he wasn't going to do it just to grab money in the moment he was looking as they don't add things to their catalog on fad they add things to their catalog and they keep them there and they basically guarantee that their products are all very high quality so he wasn't thinking about it from in the terms of what would sell he's thinking yes. about it for in terms of what would be a fantastic product for the user yes that they would be proud to put their name on and also another thing that he does that i love is he talks all the time about like what is what is a problem area that people are having i mean this is actually a shark tank thing too right right so he's thinking about it though exclusively from from pens so for instance he was saying like you know everybody loves the pigment micron so many different presidents have used it to sign their you know inauguration documents and it, for all sorts of important events it's a great pen but people don't hand write anymore and so they were having trouble with the nibs because they kept bending them because we're not used now to anymore how much pressure you're supposed to put onto a nib Right. Right. So they came out with the Pigma Micron PN, which is a plastic nib. That's what the PN stands for, which is perfect. Right. For people who are afraid that they're going to bend that little felt nib. And it's been a really big hit for them. And witness the fact that now all these other companies have come to the market with this plastic nib. And the thing is, I wonder sometimes if people do something because they see that it sells as opposed to doing something because they understand the reason why it's going to sell, you know? And I think he did it because he understood the reason why it was going to sell as opposed to somebody who's just like, oh, I see that selling, let me do that. And I did see some companies that are much smaller this year, partially because I think they never figured out why they were truly popular. They just like sort of had this luck and they can't recapture it because it wasn't based on filling a problem. It was based on throwing a ton of spaghetti at the wall and seeing what stuck. Not in my kitchen. <laughs> okay, wait for keeping us. Thanks for keeping us off the topic. Per uh, so uh, no, I was going to say. Well, the yeah, topic well, is good. creativation, and I think right. like I, I think one of the things that happens to me every single year of creativation, and you and I have talked about that, is in some ways creativation. Maybe it's because it's in January, but it feels like the first day of school in some ways. It feels like that sense of renewal, of assessing what was the year before and what is the year to come. And and I think I think because of that, I find myself uh, after creativation and always in a kind of very thoughtful place where I'm trying to analyze what is the industry doing? What am I doing? Are we moving together? Are we moving apart? What do I need to change if I want to go with the industry or what do I not want to change if I want to stay on my own path? That happens every year. And I think it's really good. You always come home buzzing with ideas about directions your business could go in. So in that regard, even though we have discussed, should you keep on going? I think that is a good reason for you to keep on going. Yeah. I think it's important. It's a good annual check-in, you know? All right. It's like it's like my annual doctor's appointment. 
<laughs> but for my business in some ways. But yeah, I think it was very interesting. Now, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about seeing if we would be able to figure out if there were any trends on the floor, you know, icons and images that we saw a lot. Did you notice anything? I didn't notice anything new. It's interesting because in previous years, like the first year they were in Phoenix, everything was a cactus and yeah. a desert thing. And then last year, I think the flowers emerged as a great theme. Tons and tons of flowers. I didn't flowers see anything. On a black background. Yeah. Did you see anything? No. In fact, what I saw um, were the trend that I saw is kind of a funny trend. Because what it is is two things, which is one, everything old is new again. Like macrame was featured. All oh yeah, kinds the of, macrame um, hanging plant. Yeah, yeah, definitely string art, plastic canvas. Like I mean, lots of old school, you know, slightly modernized and redone, but just a lot of old school craft coming back. Um, I also noticed a lot of knockoffs. Unashamedly, the Raskog cart from IKEA was knocked off a couple times. Um, there was a lot of, oh, uh, this looks like this company or things that were very pastiche from other places. Uh, so in some weird way, it, it felt very much to me like there, the trend was nothing new or playing it safe or something like that, whatever you want to say, that was about it just being, um, Again, I don't know how to say another way of saying nothing new. I did, I saw very little that was like incredibly innovative. The one product, there were maybe two products I saw that I loved, both of which uh, exist elsewhere and are just being repackaged and remarketed. And I will be a consumer of those things and buy those things, but it's not like they were so inventive. They're just a repackaging of product. I will say this. The internet has had some effect on that because if you're speaking to fewer customers directly in person you don't i think have the same feel for what people are how people are using your product well how people are thinking about their needs that you do the internet just doesn't give you that do you know what i, I mean will, yes but i all i mean there's a there's a on thing which is Yes, a lot of people are on the internet, and yes, that's some immediate feedback, but there are plenty of consumers and customers who are not on the internet right. telling you their opinion about stuff. And for some reason, manufacturers no longer value the opinions of the people who are not the ones who are actively on social media, right. which I think is a mistake and a bizarre choice. Um, but you know, they're not the only industry to do that. I've had restaurants tell me that they give better service to people who are on the internet, even if the, just to the extent that they make their reservations on the internet, because they somehow feel that those people have the ability to cast a wider net. When in fact, you're, you're missing a whole bunch of people who might come to your restaurant or might use your product who just are not going to go on, on the internet. Yeah, I also think there's a massive homogenization of the entire industry, which I think is based on two things, which is A, everybody's looking at the same stuff for inspiration. Instead of being in your regional environment where you are, in your social circle, in your whatever, we're all looking at the same pins, the same Instagram accounts, the same, the same, the same. And so it's like... Uh, 
we're all living in the same world in some way. And so nobody has their own little flavor. And the other thing is, as, as more graphic design work uh, becomes work that is done uh, either in-house, one designer actually designs six different people's paper lines as is something that happens at some of those big companies. So they all kind of look the same because essentially it's the same designer, you know, but with the input from the quote unquote designer on like color or themes or something, you know, so it all looks the same. Or people are using a lot more stock imagery, but they just aren't doing a lot of hiring freelance people or having like six to eight in-house designers or any of that kind of stuff. So that's another kind of homogenization that happens. Because again, you're you're getting these more single perspective kind of things. Yeah, I think it's a loss. It is. The other thing is also when you design product that has to show on the internet, there are things that do not show well on the internet, but might be really valuable. I agree. And like the benefit of a trade show, people are always like, why do we need a trade show? Why do we need a trade show? But I mean, there are a lot of products that are super cool when you see a demo when you see, you know, what can be done with them that you don't totally understand from looking at a store shelf or even from an Instagram post or you're not going to sit and watch a video or whatever it is. I mean, I think this is the reason that I say to retailers all the time when I talk to them about stuff, you have to demo your products. You have to show people what they can do. And when you do a demo with like a stencil and an ink pad and a brush and show people, then your customer work walks out with all three items instead of just looking through things and being like, but I don't know what I would do with it. And I think, you know, there's a, just a lot of stuff where uh, the product need the visual uh, of how to how to use them best to get the most out of them. Okay. Let's. So is that it for Saturday? Well, I mean, that's sort of Saturday, Sunday, Monday right. a little bit. Right. I mean, that's that that's sort of the show for me. I mean, there was all the wonderful stuff about seeing some of my friends and hanging out with people I really, really like and respect. You know, uh, there was some great stuff, too, just about, like, um, people said some really lovely, kind things to me about how helpful my videos had been to them or how much they enjoyed my artwork Stuff like that. I mean, there was a lot to feel great about, but I think I, uh, I think if you had caught me on Sunday, I probably would have told you about how many nice things people had said to me. But somehow now on Wednesday, I've reached the introspective layer and I'm more interested in focusing on what I can learn from what I took in how I can process all that stuff. Because as you know, since we cannot remember what time we woke up on Friday, mm -hmm. we probably, I'm afraid if I wait too long to think about everything, it will disappear. Okay. So then let's just say about Sunday that the weather in Phoenix is a lot different than the weather in Boston. And we ate lunch sitting outside and it was wonderful glorious january sandal weather you people who don't live in the northeast or anywhere north in fact you have awesome lives <laughs> that it was amazing i loved it and then monday you did a facebook live from the brother booth yes which was great and fun and um 
you know, it's interesting. All these live videos that people are doing. In fact, one of my friends who didn't come to CHA or to CHA, I keep calling it that, to Creativation. I'm like one of those old people who keeps talking about the spot where the gas station used to be. Uh, anyway, so one of my friends who didn't come to Creativation, she said there are so many live videos from the show floor. It's almost like being there because you can just sort of hang out and like, you know, jump from live video to live video and really get the sense of what's happening. And I thought that's almost like, I know sometimes you even say this, that you would rather watch football on TV than go to the game because you get like a better view. You can stay in your house. You get all the replays. Yeah. You don't have to pay so much for the food. Exactly. So this is like, this is like creativation as spectator sport at home. I will say this. I had a good time. It's you. You and I travel very well together. Yes. Uh, but I'm really glad to be home. I was exhausted, and then because of the big storms in the east, the plane traffic was very dense. Still with backups when we came home yesterday, and I was afraid we would end up sitting in a plane for ten hours, but it worked out fine. Yes. But it always reminds me how precarious it is to make plans based on a plan an airplane schedule because it's entirely possible it won't have anything approaching reality to it. It's true. It's true. We actually we've been I've been talking to some uh I, I actually got asked recently for a trip that I'm making to HSN. They were like, Well, what are you doing for the three days before in case we hear of snow and need to ship you out early? So yeah. that you make it. And I was yeah. like, wow, you know, because there's some things for which I, I have to be there, you know, and I don't really want to drive to Florida. So, yes. <laughs> three days would still be a like solid three di- days of driving. It would not be pleasant. I know. I know. Yeah. So there you go. Anyway, so I would say another good year. Lots to think about. Um, and I don't know. My mind is buzzing. Is your mind buzzing? My mind is buzzing about your mind buzzing. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so glad to hear that. So we, I hope that your mind is buzzing too out there. And if you have any thoughts about creativation or the state of the industry, I know that we would love to hear about them. Um, as always, you can find me at ballsdesigns.typepad.com and do leave us your comments or questions at ballsdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast, all one word, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on iTunes. That helps other people find us. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. Oh,